You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. This is our 200th episode, and we've got a couple of special things going on that I'll tell you about later in the show. I'm going to try and give away some software licenses, so that should be fun. In the meantime, let's start this off. We've got Daniel Aaron Dilger here with us. Hi, Victor. How's it going? I'm, I'm fantastic. I'm so glad you're able to join. Yeah. And you're calling in from Berlin, is that right? Yep. I'm, I'm in Berlin, <laughs> Germany. It <That> sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, winter is just starting to kick in, so. Wow. The season where everybody has a cold, and I just overexerted my back, so I'm in horrible pain. <laughs> but. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm still alive, so, yeah. Well, let, let me ask you some hard questions and some, your, some of your opinions here. So, the, the news that I've been seeing is that when we had the iPhone XS and XR launch, we had a, a few stock analysts who said that Apple should be rated a buy stock, that, that things were very optimistic, that this was going to look like a good launch, and that, that Apple should be a buy. And they'd set a price target that was, was, oh, I forget off the top of my head, but I want to say it was like 250 or 260 or something like that. And now, in, in the intervening time, there was the earnings call. And at the earnings call, they said that they are no longer going to break out unit sales and that uh, we've also had reports of, of supply chain issues and cancellation of supply chain orders and cancellation of expanding production lines at Pegatron and Foxconn. And so there have been three or four different analysts and agencies who've gone ahead and changed their rating from buy to neutral. And there are mutual funds who invested heavily in Apple, and it feels like their hair's on fire also because they're worried about the performance of Apple. So help me understand what all is going on here. Well, there's a few things going on. But in general, if you look at what analysts say, they frequently try to sound correct, and they change what they're saying based on what everyone else is saying. So there's kind of a herd mentality of uh, trying to get in to make sure that what they're saying is reflected in what other people are saying so they sound like they have the ring of truth. And also that, um, you know, if they're saying something that's obviously not true, they try to change their story to make it true. And they try to predict where things are going. Um, so one of the things that you were describing happened with the, the new launch of the latest iPhones. During, I believe it was October, when Apple was, the stock price was peaking and it was passing this trillion dollar valuation and people were talking about it. One of the big catalysts that people were talking about wasn't that there was going to be a new phone, because there's a new phone every year. A new, now there's uh, several new phones that come out. Um, it was services. And the discussion was changing from not how many new phones uh, Apple had to sell to impress the market, but rather an appreciation of the fact that Apple has created something that other companies have not. Samsung sells a similar number of phones, but they're not the same kind of phone. They're lower-end phones. And all the producers well, and in they, China... And they even have phones with a higher ASP, too. They have phones that they sell for high prices. And even some Chinese yeah. companies are now selling phones for prices that are higher than the iPhone. But they don't sell very many of them. And those phones only last for a short period of time. So they're not creating an installed base. And they change dramatically. Apple has a very um, predictable pattern of how it's coming out. It brings out a new technology and it brings it across its whole um, portfolio of products. So we saw that with Touch ID, and now we're seeing it with Face ID and, and the, the design of the iPhone 10 uh, family of phones. It's, it's this kind of incremental building of 
these, this installed base of premium high-end phones. And the reality is that people don't shop around for, in that group of people. There's about a billion people that use iPhones. This is the majority of the people in America. The majority of people in, like the vast majority of Japan, the majority of Australia, Apple has majority market share, and it's selling phones that are at an average price of $800. The average price of Android phones is around $200. So very clearly, people are not going into a store and saying, hmm, do I want to pay $800 or $200? They're saying, I want to buy an iPhone. Or they're saying, I can't afford a new iPhone, so they're buying something else. There's a huge uh, secondary market for iPhones that people are buying. Um, they're not necessarily buying cheap iPhones. The cheapest iPhone Apple came out with, the SE, was not a hot seller. And that's exactly what these analysts were saying that Apple had to do. They had, Apple had to come out with a phone that was $300. And then when they did, it didn't, didn't move any needles, didn't excite anybody. People weren't rushing to get the, the cheap iPhone. People want, uh, the, Apple's uh, installed base wants to have new technology in this device. It's, not, it's more than just a computer. It's a computer that we carry around everywhere. We use it on a daily basis. A lot of us just use our phones all the time. And so it's even more than a car or any other personal thing. It's something we use all the time. And so people are willing to pay more for this than uh, we have been willing to pay for phones in the past and almost anything else that we have. So even people who aren't necessarily affluent are putting a lot of money into an iPhone because they know that they're going to use it all the time and they can see a huge difference between iPhones and other phones. Um, but what I was saying about this installed base is that analysts are realizing this fall, they're finally getting it into them after Apple had been talking about it for years and we've been discussing this on Apple Insider, is that it's not how many new phones Apple sells every year that's very important. It's the fact that Apple has created this massive installed base of people who are only going to buy an iPhone. There's very little people who are shopping around, even though we constantly produce stories about you know comparing it to the Google Pixel that nobody buys or some of these other flagship phones. Um, some of the people who buy fancy Samsungs, the, it's a much smaller base than Apple's. Um, and they are loyal to Samsung. People are buying Samsungs over and over again. Even after they blew up in flames, people are going back and buying another one. So there isn't a lot of shopping around anywhere. But the difference is that uh, Samsung's iPhone-priced phones, the higher-end tier of its things like the Galaxy S and the Note, um, are a much smaller base. And they're watered down by the fact that anything Samsung does or anything, you know, the Android platform kind of caters to the lowest common denominator, which doesn't isn't the same thing on, on iOS because Apple doesn't have a, a bunch of cheap phones that it has to make run iOS. Apple has iOS running back to phones from five years ago, but those phones were high-end phones when they came out, and they're still good phones. So Apple has this kind of five years of selling the most premium phones in the world. It's building up to this huge installed base, and it's not only important for selling new phones, it's also important for selling everything else Apple does. And the, the biggest thing people think about is services. Services is one of the fastest growing things at Apple. It's huge profit margin because they're selling software and uh, services and subscriptions. Uh, and then the other thing in parallel to that is new hardware. So when Apple Watch came out, people, analysts kept talking about it like it was going to replace the iPhone. It was like Apple didn't present it as that. In fact, they made it a prerequisite that you have to own an iPhone to use an Apple Watch. You have to set it up. It's an accessory. And with this huge installed base, Apple's not just servicing it by selling them new iPhones. They're selling Apple Watch. They're selling um, things like 
iPad, which allows you to take the same software you already have and use it on a bigger palette and also do things that are just totally unique to the iPad. And also the Macintosh and all these things that are uh, linked together with continuity and being able to use them together. Apple's creating this huge ecosystem, and that's vastly more important than the exact number of iPhones it sells. And is it different or less than last year? And how does it compare between the two different models, you know, the, the 10R and the 10S family? Uh, you know, analysts don't know what to talk about, and so they compare really simple things. You know, is Apple selling more of this or more of that? And in, in the long run, it doesn't really matter. We had all this chatter back in the days of, you know, when they came out with the iPhone 5S and the 5C. And there was this sense that Apple was doing the wrong thing because they weren't selling more cheaper phones than <laughs> they were selling too many expensive phones. It's just dumb chatter. And in the end, it didn't matter. It, it's, it was totally um, something that it was a red herring. It was, it was directing people towards facts that didn't matter because the reality was that Apple was selling more premium phones and getting people used to paying more for a phone and demanding something that was novel. Um, Touch ID changed how people use their devices, made people much more secure. It actually dropped crime. People were less likely to steal phones because they knew that they would be locked by fingerprints. And so that's the same kind of thing you have here is in October, you have these analysts talking about how Apple should be the price it is at around 240 I think Apple peaked around 233 in October. Hmm. And so they're setting this price target that's like cautiously optimistic that Apple's going to be worth a little bit more later. And then within a month later, they're going back to this, oh, we have to think really hard about unit sales. And we have to listen to this Japanese newspaper push out their thing every year where they say, oh, I heard it from a friend who said that Apple has, you know, they, they say very specific things about a supplier or uh, component manufacturer and try to extrapolate into saying this means this many phones aren't going to sell or Apple's making this many fewer phones because they don't think they can sell them. They don't know that. This is all super conjecture that when when it's the Nikkei published this article saying this supplier and this supplier are, are markedly down, that means nothing else but that Apple's not selling iPhones. Other suppliers were saying we don't see any of that. And the thing is, you know, if you're building phones, you're getting supplies from different companies. So if one is having a problem and another isn't, that kind of destroys your theory that, you know, one supplier being down means that iPhones aren't selling. There's a couple other things here, too. Um, one is that a supplier's, uh, a supplier is not the only source for Apple. So one of, the, one of the most recent things that we're talking about is Lumentium. And they were saying they were down by because one of their major uh customers, they didn't say Apple, but everyone was saying, oh, but it must be Apple, uh, had was had reduced their, sup their supply orders or canceled. I, don't, I can't remember exactly what they said, but they're saying, oh, they're down, so Apple must be not selling iPhones. Something that's kind of important is that Lamentium has a competitor, Finistar. Mm -hmm. That was the company that Apple paid $300 million, they invested in from their advanced manufacturing fund, to make sure that they were able to produce exactly the kind of parts that Apple needed. So Apple's That's investing... That's the camera sensor, right? Yeah, these V-cells that are used in, in Face ID. So Apple's investing quite a lot of money. That That's comparable to a major acquisition for Apple. Apple's investing a lot of money into production of a component that is a competitor, direct competitor to this company that they're saying is down, and it must be because of the iPhone. And you're like, 
there's not a huge logical leap you have to make there to understand, yes, Apple could have cut their supplies dramatically to this competitor of the company that they're investing in because they have a solid source somewhere else, like the one that they invested in. The other situation that can happen, and it involves the same two companies, Lumentium and Finistar and, and a couple of other American companies make optical products like this. And in the beginning of the year, there was a lot of talk about how China was investing in its domestic industry, which is behind these companies. But China's putting a lot of effort into having them catch up. And there was a lot of talk about how these companies were in trouble. And in fact, of the five or so companies, two of them have acquired each other. Finistar, the company that Apple invested in, was just bought up by another company. It's something like 2-6 or something like that, the name of the company. I don't have it in front of me. But that's another reason why Lumentium could be having trouble because the um, industry at large is either being hammered by China or being hurt in other ways. Um, last year, it was a, a different set of companies, but it was the same kind of thing where people were saying, here's a company that builds a part that, that we think is in the iPhone. And because they're doing bad, it, it must be the iPhone's doing bad. And they keep saying this and people keep falling for it because it kind of sounds plausible when they write it up. But the fact is they keep modeling for something that isn't happening. They keep saying that um, Apple, which is quite well known as being one of the best companies in terms of sourcing and, and producing huge volumes of things. Like Samsung produces as many or more phones than Apple, but they do so kind of on a regular basis. They're just kind of constantly churning out uh, lower-end phones that aren't terribly hard to make. Apple, Apple's whole kind of business model revolves around every year coming out with a huge new jump, and that requires ramping up and um, uh, lining up suppliers to produce kind of state-of-the-art parts that have never been used before. And again, like things like Touch ID and Face ID and uh, new technologies that, um, and also its own components. You know, the, the A11 last year, the A12 Bionic this year. That requires a lot of lining up suppliers and partners so that all these parts come together and can be built so that they can have a huge production run right when they're ready to launch. And they can sell tons of them. And if you look at Apple's sales, they've always been kind of cyclical. There's a huge rush in the West during holiday sales, basically. And then there's also been kind of a secondary rush uh, that happens in China because they have holiday season that happens in our first quarter first calendar quarter and then sales start to kind of taper off later because people are anticipating the next iphone that's going to come and so there's a very complicated supply chain and apple is well known for being very uh very good at what it does in fact when something doesn't work out perfectly people shake their heads and are like what's going on something's awful wrong here because apple didn't do exactly what they planned to do right on time you know one example is the the charging pad i can't even think of the name of it right now um, but it didn't happen. It didn't materialize. Air power? Air power. Uh, there's other products like um, HomePod. They intended for it to come out uh, by the end of last year, and it took a few more weeks before it actually started shipping in, I think, February. Um, but for most suppliers, that would be kind of an in inconsequential wait. You know, it comes out a little bit later than they planned. But for Apple, everybody was just like, oh, man, you know, they're, they have this down. They must be running into some problem with physics or uh, software problems. So the fact that Apple is so good at lining things up means that some journalist talking to somebody who, you know, walked out of a factory mm -hmm. 
isn't going to understand what's actually happening. And they clearly don't. I mean, the earlier this year when Bloomberg said, oh, Samsung is reporting that they're having problems with selling enough OLED. And we know the, the new iPhone 10 is make, using Samsung's OLED. That means that the only thing that can possibly mean is that Apple's not selling enough iPhone 10s. You know, what terrible logic is that? Because, you know, among other things, Samsung does have a customer for OLED. That's Samsung itself. And it later came out that Samsung's high-end phones were not doing very well. And, you know, Apple's iPhone 10 clearly was. So their, their ability to, like, logically put stuff together is just not very good. And so for them to be trying to read the tea leaves of, uh, of a channel that they don't understand right. and having a, a history of being wrong repeatedly in, in ways that are egregious. Um, when Bloomberg wrote about Samsung, they, they, they made it sound like the only problem Samsung was having was OLEDs. When that's not true at all. Samsung was saying all of its display technologies were having problems, including uh, kind of the standard LEDs. And part of that was um, because it was competing with all these Chinese companies that are also producing all these parts. So there's an, a, a broad number of reasons why a specific supplier can be having trouble. It could be that Apple is indeed cutting their parts because Apple's getting parts somewhere else. It could be because uh, they have... Um, competition from a variety of other suppliers in general, which was the case with both Samsung this year or earlier this year and also Lamentium, you know, over the same period of time. But these, these, these channel check stories just keep coming out and making sort of very specific claims about things that, that if you read what they're actually saying, they're not saying anything they're making okay. a lot of speculative comments that, that are not really supported. So I've got the, the story that we ran, and it, it was from the Nikkei, you're, you're right, about the, the Foxtron, Pegatron, and um, Wistron orders. And, and basically it all looks to have come from a single source, unnamed, who said that, that Foxconn had prepared 60 assembly lines for the 10R model, but recently is only using 45 production lines as, quote, its top customer, said that it does not need to manufacture that many by now. And Pegatron is also said to be send, suspending plans to increase their production and is waiting for more information from Apple. And the source says that the utilization for 10R production at, Wistron, at, at Pegatron is not reaching its maximum capacity. And Wistron was previously asked to stand in for a rush of orders if necessary, but the supply chain source suggests no orders would be provided to Wistron. So it looks like it's all from one single source there. Yeah, and they're saying things like, you know, production runs. We we don't have any history of how many production runs Apple needs to to create. I mean, we don't even know what that means. We, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we well, I mean, it means it assembly lines, but we don't yeah. know how many assembly lines that they actually use traditionally. And we don't know what this source, uh, how, what expertise they have in determining. Are they talking about the uh, Apple has to plan for a lot of things that we don't have to think about? So there can be a situation where there's an earthquake in Taiwan and they have to still come out with the parts. If they're only if they only have the capacity in one place, that's a a, a risk to production. And so Apple has a lot of things that are, you know, we want to make sure that there's a secondary supply over here that we're not necessarily going to use. But if something bad happens here, we have to be able to, you know, change our plans around last minute. And so there's a lot of things like that that are happening all the time. And I haven't seen it as much in the supply chain. I'm more familiar with looking at how Apple does inventory. 
because I talk to people who do um, who manage inventory, uh, kind of the other side of production. But there's a lot of sophistication that goes into knowing where to put your inventory so that you don't have piles of stuff sitting around getting old. And yeah, demand planning. Yeah. So Apple is very on both sides of, of the production, whether you're putting getting the parts together or taking finished product and figuring out what to do with it. Uh, there's an awful lot of work that goes into that. And so for somebody to come in and say, you know, based on one person's view of something that they don't understand the whole thing, the only people that really know what's happening in the supply chain are certainly not going to be talking to some newspaper to provide them with insider information about what's happening with iPhones. This is, this is the kind of source that is not going to know what's going on. And so, of course, they're willing to talk to you know, somebody and say, whatever. And because the, you know, there's, they're obviously not going to name their source because it's probably either a contractor or you know, could be anybody. Um, there's no way to you know, really verify or look into seeing how, how um, knowledgeable this source is. I mean, do the, how do they know what they're talking about? talking about production lines are they talking about the maximum production that apple could possibly create at a specific supplier because apple is probably not going to be running at full tilt anywhere because uh just for production planning if there's anything that goes wrong they have to have the ability to ramp up production beyond what they normally need and apple is extremely good at uh, knowing how many products to produce when we see complaints about people saying you know, I have to wait for a week or two um that's vastly different than if you look at other industries or other even other phone makers, um, the kind of problems that other companies have made when they've come out with their own version of like, this is the future of what we want to produce. They have big problems, even Samsung, which is, you know, Samsung's been making phones longer than Apple and they're, they're quite good at a lot of things that they do. They came out with the note seven fiasco where phones were actually blowing up because they were not designed correctly and they were rushed through. And, and if Samsung can do that, and you know, that's a problem that, that um, everybody has to plan for. And so, so this, the whole report and everything about it saying that, you know, here's one, this extra producer on the side that hasn't been given extra orders. And, you know, here's this production run that we think this proportion of it is being used. This is all worthless data. And what they're saying is every year they came out with this kind of thing. Last year was it was almost exactly the same thing, saying that Apple actually was much worse because they were saying Apple had cut some tremendous percentage of what they planned to produce, which would just be like billions of phones or, or billions of dollars worth of iPhones that weren't produced. And if that had actually happened, you know, the economy would have been collapsing and where these things are built. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just stupid. And there's very little criticism that looks in, you know, when one of these reports comes out, even though it's been wrong year after year after year. And beyond Nikkei, everybody, that, Wall Street Journal, everybody that reports on these supply chain things, I don't think, I can't remember one that's ever been really correct in guiding, you know, hey, this is actually, you know, a problem. And so it's just shocking that there's not more criticism. In fact, actually this year is the most criticism I've seen. People are actually kind of waking up to this idea uh, it is still really conservatively presented, though. I, I saw even CNBC of all places. There was a, a writer, I can't think of her name right now, but uh, I saw a couple of posts where she was kind of giving this warning sort of thing that I would write um, about supply chain stuff and saying, you know, hey, this is <laughs> this has always been wrong. <laughs> Maybe this time we shouldn't give it full credence. And uh, I saw some other pieces from other places too that were some analysts are saying, hey. You know, this may be true, but 
it may not matter. And it certainly doesn't matter enough to shoot the price of Apple stock down like 15%. Dan, thank you so much for keeping us well-informed. And I really appreciate your perspective on this. It's, it's one of those things where, yes, we see it year after year, but it really does seem like people let their hair catch on fire. Yeah, it's something that people are watching really closely. And um, one of the things also that I've noticed is that there's there's almost no there's almost none of the same scrutiny given to the supply chain of other companies. So that kind of tells you something. I mean, this is partially feeding the voracious appetite for Apple News, just creating content just to feed it. And sometimes that gets out of out of control. I think definitely. Where can people find you on the internet? I'm writing for Apple Insider, of course, and I'm on Twitter at. Um, Daniel Aaron, E-R-A-N, and it's my Instagram, and I'm also writing, um, I have my articles on Roughly Drafted. Well, we hope to have you back soon, and thank you so much. Hello, everybody. This is Neil Hughes, a longtime guest of the Apple Insider podcast, and also uh, a known curmudgeon around these parts. Um, and I just want to take an opportunity today to say a big, big, big congratulations uh, to Apple Insider, to Victor, to everybody on the team and everybody that's contributed over the years to the Apple Insider podcast on reaching 200 episodes. Uh, it is very cool to be a part of this. Uh, it's very cool to have contributed to it. Uh, it's really exciting. I love the feedback that I always get uh, from you guys, uh, from everybody out there that listens. Uh, it's very easy when you're recording and it's just me and Victor just kind of talking and uh, being off the cuff, uh, you don't you don't think about all the people that are out there listening, hanging on your every words. Uh, we had an event at uh, Adorama a few years ago with Victor and Dan and myself, and people coming up and talking to me about certain things. Uh, it was really cool to connect with fans that way, and all of you who tweeted me, and all of you who were really excited when Apple released a USB-C to uh, uh, Apple Watch cable, uh, as short as it may be, uh, all the things that you guys have uh, given us over the years in terms of your feedback. In terms of listening, in terms of contributing, in terms of participating, I uh, just want to say a genuine, heartfelt thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, and it's been really fun. And here's to the next 200 episodes. Cheers, guys. Welcome back. I'm joined by William Gallagher. Hello. How you been doing? Well, I'm, I'm youthful, I'm exuberant, and I'm ready to go. This is our 200th episode. Right. You're looking very good on 200 episodes. I, I have to say congratulations on them. Oh, thank you very much. I'm, I'm really pleased to be here. Now, I mentioned earlier, because earlier I was speaking with our, our esteemed colleague, Dan, that I was going to do some giveaways. And I haven't thought a lot about how I'd like to conduct this. So basically what I'm saying is email William at appleinsider.com and tell him what you enjoy about working with PDF or what your biggest frustration has been about working with PDFs. And we are going to hook five of you lovely people up with licenses for the standard version of PDF Element by Wondershare. And Wondershare has been so kind to provide those licenses to us for you. So we're going to do that. The thing that I must say I've used PDF programs by Wondershare for ages. You know, they, they used to make individual little converters that I could use to take a PDF and turn it into a PowerPoint or take a PDF and turn it into a Word document. Very, very useful things. Well, they've sort of combined all those tools into PDF Element, and I like it. And for those of you that aren't selected for the five licenses, we still have a very important offer. The 
URL that you have to go to, and this is a really hard to read URL, so I'm going to make sure that I make it in, in the show notes. That is a, a link where anyone in the audience can get a 40% off Thanksgiving discount on any copy of PDF Element this month. The up to 40% off offer is not bad at all, and that, that equates to about $36 for the standard version or $70 for the, the pro version as opposed to $60 and $100. So it's a significant savings. And we're able to do that because, well, we love you guys, and thank you so much for joining us each week for this show. If I may say, I think that's an amazing offer, 40%. But just backtracking from this, um, so while I was off making tea, you were talking with Dan, and between you, you decided that I'm the one everybody should email about this. Do I at least get to play God and choose which five, or does it have to be the first five? I have st I told you I'm not even deciding. So there. <laughs> we'll okay, sort this so out it's in behind the scenes, everyone. <laughs> okay. And possibly in a fair way, but let's not promise that. Yes, yeah. no. Okay. William? Yes. Yes. I have to ask, you know, you <laughs> you, you have, are very dedicated to your iPhone devices. You bought, what, the Tennis Max, did you? I did, yes. Uh, mortgage payments coming through quite slowly. Yeah, and, yes. And okay. are you getting the 11 iPad Pro? No, I'm not. I looked at one uh, just an hour ago actually and it is i really want it but i have an original uh ipad pro and uh, it's it's still so good even if i really could just drop the cash uh casually when actually i'm saving for an imac um i find it hard pressed to justify it uh, but uh, I, t I know why you're asking me this because there's this fantastic review on appleinsider.com i mean i mean i know i write for apple insiders and we're on the apple insider podcast so there might be a little bit of bias here but really i think it's the best review we've seen yeah i mean the depth of detail i thought i knew all about the ipad pro you know i'm a I'm right on this but it's in there and also it's pointing out things i thought were very interesting that i hadn't considered to do with um what makes it not quite yet a replacement. Okay, so so two thing. questions. First of all, okay. what did you learn from this review? Something about the iPad Pro that you learned that you had not known before. Okay. Uh, there's an argument that uh, it could have done uh, things like the USB-C uh, use better. There's um, a breakdown of the fact that it's still fiddly to get photos off through an adapter and things. So you have this nice connector port, but it's not doing as much as perhaps it might. But to be honest, I didn't even understand USB-C until about 10 days ago when Mike Worthily looked at me patiently and explained it all. I thought, you know, fast connector has power. What else is there to it? And there seems to be so much else to yeah, it's it. A nightmare. And actually, <laughs> that seems so un-Apple like doesn't it? it just well you don't know what you're buying so here's here's the thing usb-c is is a mess of implementation and and there are a couple of reasons why uh it, it comes down to different goals it comes down to some legacy restrictions on what a usb is and it comes down to people using a port versus using the the physical layer behind the port so there's and this is really, if you want to lay it at anyone's fault, at anyone's feet, it's it's the USB Implementers Forum, the USBIF, that governs what is USB. But they don't decide things in a vacuum. They use committees, and those committees are made up from people like companies from Toshiba or Apple or Microsoft, you know, Intel. They all get a say in it. And Sorry, one second. Uh, this, I don't know what that term was. You talked about the layer behind uh, using the socket. What is that? Okay, mean? so there's a, a chip that drives the port 
And the chip determines what, which way the data is flowing, what kind of data, what protocols, all kinds of things, right? Right. Okay. There's a physical layer. There's media access controls, the way we talk about it in networking terms, right? And then the, 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 the port after that. Okay. And right. And so it's all crazy. Okay. Well, to, to put it like this, right? USB-C is a port shape. And it's a lovely port shape. You can flip it around either way and, and still insert the core cable correctly, which was one of the problems that USB has suffered from for years. This, we think, is where Apple left their mark in the committee. Right. I have to say, sorry, I've never really been that fussed. Yes, I put them in the wrong way, but it's not like it takes an hour to pull it out and put it in the right way. But I accept it's better that it's reversible. Okay. Yes. The other part of the USB is, is, is a device, a host, or a client. Now, if you connect an iPad to a computer, the iPad is the client. But if you connect a device to the USB on the iPad, the iPad is acting as the host or the computer in this case, and the device is the client. And so the iPad has to know how to negotiate that. We, this used to be something called host on the go, which was a sort of hack to allow USB clients to act like hosts. Right. It sounds like a terrible US reality TV show, mm -hmm. but all right. And yeah. this is this is why when you connect a camera to an iPad, it says, oh, I know what to do with a camera. I'll open photos. But when you connect a hard drive to it, it sort of scratches its head for a moment because of this negotiation over, is it a host or a client and what are we doing? Okay. I can understand this. So it's just, it's not like USB-C is new. So isn't there a case that there's this official list of standards, official list thing you could do, but the market has decided and they all tend to go a certain way and tend to do a certain thing. And it's all happy and you know, cleared up in the end. Well, like I said, this all comes from what the USB-IF says USB is. And that's, that's what the spec says. Okay. Right? Not to confuse things, <laughs> to confuse okay. things, it, Macs always had, uh, for the past, I don't know, seven years or so, eight years basically, a port called Thunderbolt. It started yes. as Mini Display Port, and Mini Display Port became Thunderbolt, but they, they used the same connector. And then th they became Thunderbolt 2, and then they became Thunderbolt 3, but Thunderbolt 3 uses the USB C connector shape. And the difficulty is that they're using very different signaling from that physical layer behind the port. But the cable and port looks identical. And you end up with situations where someone takes a Thunderbolt display and uses the USB-C cable that's less expensive and tries to connect it, and it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because that's a USB-C cable, not a Thunderbolt 3 cable, even though they look identical, but one costs significantly more. Okay. All right. This is the un-Apple-like part of it. Are you sure the thing that costs more is the un-Apple-like thing? The, the thing that looks exactly identical... And so you can grab one and grab the wrong one, and it doesn't oh, work. Okay. That's yes, not Apple-like. Good point. No, that's true. That's true. So where does this leave us today? We're struggling. This is why I'm not buying an iPad Pro. It's not the money. It's the confusion here's, over the cable. Here's, I think, what happens. This leaves open a, a case for Apple to go ahead and convert the whole product line to USB-C. And we've talked a little bit about this in previous episodes where we think maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. And... The I think thing, one of the things that comes down to it is that Apple prefers to have as few cables as possible and as least cable confusion as possible, never mind the Thunderbolt 3 USB-C confusion. And for that reason, if you were traveling and you had to take your laptop with USB-C and your iPad Pro with USB-C and your iPhone 
with uh, USB-C to Lightning. Yes. You now have yeah. a variety of cables, and wouldn't it be better if they were just all using USB-C? Well, I would have said yes, but now it's which USB-C? So, okay, this is going to shake out in the end, isn't it? It's Everything will go to USB-C, and it will be the same type. We just haven't got there Except yet. Except for so the Thunderbolt maybe... 3 problem, yes. Yeah, okay. I was forgetting about that again already. Okay. Well, right. and, and there's been some teething problems on the way to this point. You know, in, in the past couple of years, there were USB-C cables, but they weren't all created the same. And you could just as easily plug in a USB-C cable and fry your laptop. What? There was a Google engineer who dedicated his spare time to buying every single USB-C cable off of Amazon and plugging them in and recording what happened. And they did, in fact, fry his laptop a few times. And it was so bad that the USB-IF altered the spec to say that this is what happens to prevent an overvolt situation so that we cannot have that happen. The governing body decided that to fix the uh, spec. totally destroying. Okay. Because oh, but wait a minute. That means the specification itself, not people's implementation. So it wasn't cheap people doing uh, cheap knockoff nope. cables and doing it badly. Both. All That's... of the above. It was wow. it was people doing cheap knockoff cables or cheap badly made cables, and the spec not protecting against them. Okay. Bring back the thirty pin dot connector. That's what I say. Is it? Cause, cause yes, that one had well, what was the one before? Um, <laughs> we can go into that too. All right. Oh, okay. Nuts, huh? I've just got this. I seemed, I've suddenly a flashback memory to crawling through the roof of a office I worked in, um, laying out uh, Apple Talk cable. That was it, between a laser writer and a couple of SEs and things. So, okay, let's go further back to Apple Talk. Never let me down. No. Oh. Mm, good old Apple Talk. And, you know, yes. on the topic of never being let down, incidents are inevitable, right? Things break. Yes. yes. I mean, you've had power outages. You've had trouble with your Mac. Yes. Yes. Well, are you going with this? Yes. You've had your network fail, right? Uh, yes, I, I would admit to Have that. Have you had yes. a hard drive crash? Oh, yes. Oh, very, very yes. I see the emotional scars on you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for bringing it back up. I thought I was got past it, but no. Okay. Incidents are inevitable. And, and what it all comes down to is how you respond to them. You agree? I warily. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. Incidents, especially when it comes to a company responding to incidents, they require complex coordination between operations and software development teams who are the unsung heroes putting out fires every day. Getting <coughs> alerts immediately is critical when an incident occurs. And that's why there's OpsGenie by Atlassian. OpsGenie empowers devs and ops teams to plan for service disruptions and stay in control during incidents. It gives teams the power to respond quickly and efficiently to unplanned issues. It helps to notify all the right people through a smart combination of scheduling and escalation paths that takes into account things like time zones and holidays. And it allows for deep flexibility in how, when, and where alerts are deployed. Supported by over 200 integrations like Jira, Amazon CloudWatch, Datadog, New Relic, and more. And it tracks all the activity and provides useful insights to improve future incident response. You've had all those problems. Imagine you were away and had no notification for them. And that has actually happened. I mean, a long time ago, I think before I'd even heard of this company, or I might have been tempted by it. But yes, uh, I had a, a client uh, tell me they couldn't connect to my website and I was nothing I could do about it from where I was. Right. And so had you had smart notifications, you would have been able to realize that it was down before the client told you and get someone on it. Yeah. 
that kind of thing is especially critical when it's it's not just your single client, single business kind of thing, but it's actually this is your livelihood and you've got a team of five people on it or a team of 10 people or a team of hundreds, right? With OpsGenie.com, your next incident doesn't stand a chance. Visit OpsGenie.com to sign up to get a free company account and add up to five team members. That's OpsGenie.com. Never miss a critical alert again with OpsGenie. And I should mention those those five team accounts; those are real accounts. They're not they're not um, trial accounts or limited account time limited accounts. You know, they're 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 basic standard level f- real accounts, which is kind of a nice deal. It's great, actually. It's very impressive. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're doing well with this, aren't you? I mean, uh, basically a free account there. It's five. The forty percent off the uh, PDF editor. Yeah, we, you're on the ball today. We really, really do look out for our listener as much as we possibly can. We, we're, we're here for you guys. We are. Now, last week, we talked briefly about Qualcomm at the end of the episode. Yes. Apple is on a hiring spree. What do you think they're hiring for? Any chance uh, they're hiring sort of um, writers uh, who might perhaps not understand USB-C? Actually, surprisingly... Yes, they are. They're yeah. hiring marketing copy and newsroom editors. And so, yes, you could totally go ahead and apply for those jobs. <laughs> right. Okay. But I'm guessing that's possibly not where you're going with this. Not I'm at guessing, all. Uh, <laughs> Qualcomm-related people at all? William, if you want to leave the podcast so badly, we can let you go. <laughs> if you want to go and oh. work for Apple, you can do that. And I will support you that? wholeheartedly. I want the very best for you. But that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about... Apple is aggressively hiring 4G and 5G wireless engineers. That's very similar, but okay. Um, I'm guessing from Qualcomm by any chance? I'm sorry, I don't know this story. They are hiring them conveniently Mm -hmm. in Qualcomm's hometown, right around Qualcomm's headquarters in San Diego. Here's the basic news, okay? Apple hiring Qualcomm engineers isn't a very new kind of – it's not a new situation. Apple's been looking at acquiring Qualcomm talent for years, and we first started noticing this in about 2014. In 2017, Apple hired vice president for a system-on-a-chip project lead position. So so Apple has been pretty much dependent upon third parties for their wireless technology for years, but they used the Qualcomm modem, and then they transitioned to the Intel modem. And with the latest development in the Qualcomm dispute over licensing, Qualcomm was required by Judge Co. to license their technology, which makes things better for Intel and MediaTek. It also opens the door that Apple could license that technology and make their own wireless modems, although no one's talked about them doing so. But by hiring in the San Diego area, which is an area that's known for chip design in general, you know, they could go ahead and make their own and be free of Wi-Fi manufacturers, be free of cellular modem manufacturers, and just optimize their own modems for everything. That all sounds good, but my mind's on the uh, the San Diego area. Um, San Diego's lovely. Have you ever been? Uh, no, I haven't, but... It's um, wonderful. There is not a day of bad weather ever in San Diego. There are... Okay, there are 10 job listings in San Diego, the first ever public recruitment for chip design in San Diego. People who are hired will be working on things like wireless chips and the neural engine in the A-series processors. Hmm. Okay. Now, uh, so- there are <coughs> a number of different types 
of wireless chips available, right? There's the W1 or W2 or W3 chipset, right? There's the, it's the W1 that's found in the headphones and W3 that's in the Apple Watch Series 4. There's Wi-Fi right. chips. There's, there's the, uh, the cellular modem radios 4G and 5G. So does it make sense for Apple to have some competency here? And when we talk wireless engineers, we're not just talking chip design, although these are chip design postings, right? Wireless engineers also do things like design antennae, which is no small what? task because trying to design antennae so they function properly is, is you know, without insulting anybody, is, is basically a dark art. It is a hugely, hugely difficult science. People who do it well uh, basically can't be fired because they're, they're just amazing. This doesn't feel like something Apple just got into last Tuesday, though. Don't they already have people doing all of this? Uh, again, we started paying attention to them looking at Qualcomm talent in 2014. Hmm. And presumably, they were designing antennae before that, right? Well, this is what I'm thinking. I'm remembering Antenna Gate. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So there's, there's a lot going on here. But, but basically, it's very interesting that they would hire for this talent in San Diego, don't you think? Uh, yes, that seems good. They want 10 of them. That's okay, the, they're buying them in bulk. That's the job listings. Now, of course, it doesn't say that they only have 10 openings necessarily. It says that they've listed 10 job openings, and if they wanted to, they could hire more than one for the, the list per listing, right? Okay, yes. Something that we're going to keep following because it's it's really very important to us to see what's going on there. I do like this. I mean, I, I like when we talk about this because you obviously know it so much more than I do. Uh, and to my mind, it's a really, really small technical detail. And yet I, I recognize that the knock-on effect uh, is gigantic and that I will see the benefits or the benefits of having it or the detriment of not over time. So, yeah, I'm glad we're following this. There are this. tons of knock-on effects, right? There's the knock-on effect to Qualcomm's value as a company. There's mm -hmm. the knock-on effect in terms of, of jobs and engineers and where they're employed and their success and their contribution to their local economies and things like that. There's a knock-on effect to Apple's success and what it does for their devices. There's it, 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 These things seem small, but they make for, for below-the-surface shifts that can be huge. Did I lose you? No, I'm, I would you believe I'm just – my mind's gone on to the um, – there, here is this thing that can have this tectonic impact, but there are there must be myriad things that have this. And so somebody at Apple is holding all this in their head and juggling what's all needed. And it's it's fascinating, isn't it? And terribly impressive. Um, yeah, love it all. It is, yes, it is. And speaking of things that people have to hold in their heads, right? You know, people have to hold multiple ideas in their heads, multiple concepts and multiple focuses in their heads all the time. I, I want to change the thrust of where we've been talking about completely to a new topic, and I'm going to do it like this. Almost every day, we hear something on the news about a cyber attack. Sometimes it's just a bunch of pranksters, but more often it's a foreign country with vast cyber resources trying to hack our power grid, our banking systems, or our military's information networks. The National Security Agency plays a big part in protecting our country from cyber attacks, and you can help. The NSA is hiring technical professionals to serve on the front lines of information security. If you work in computer science, networking, programming, or electrical engineering, you can help keep our country safe. Design new hardware systems and networks, write faster, smarter programs, protect America's critical infrastructure, or help uncover what our adversaries are planning to do next. Learn more about careers at the National Security Agency today. Visit intelligencecareers.gov slash NSA. That's intelligencecareers.gov slash NSA, and the NSA are capitalized.
Now, Facebook is in the news again. Yes. What a shock. But yes, I I can't possibly see any connection between those two. I thought you were going for juxtaposition. No? Facebook is denying reports claiming that Mark Zuckerberg ordered his executives to go Android only. Right. <laughs> okay. There, there have been a number of things going on with Facebook recently. There's a New York Times report which said that as Mark Zuckerberg was, was so upset by the, uh, the verbal jabs from Kim Cook that he ordered executives to use Android phones instead of iPhones. Okay. Is he still at Harvard University or has he grown up yet? No. Well, you know, it's there, – there is the image of the tech bro wearing the hoodie. That is a a popular sort of monotype in uh, in in Silicon Valley perception, and somewhat's in how the rest of the world perceives Silicon Valley. That that you know there are grown ups, and then there are tech bros who just want to get together and drink and misogynize and wear hoodies and stuff like that. And you know Uber lived out this characterization pretty well for a while. And sorry, misogynize is a verb. Okay. What a language we have. But would yes, you, okay. Would you Uber like to that. think of that another way? Should I say it somehow a different way? No, um, the existence of the fact is the issue, but I've not heard the word contorted in that way before. And no reason it shouldn't be. It just uh, misogyny itself shouldn't be there in order to have a verb made out of it. But I accept this is a bigger social issue. <sighs> Help. <laughs> uh, as far as Uber was concerned, they're doing this stuff. They're living the misogynizing life. And they've, they've tried and to turn it around, although it's it remains to be seen whether things have really turned around, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they 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 had the, Bose, uh, Bazoma St. John, who – No, I don't know. Wonderful woman who was, was uh, part of the music team running music at Apple. Oh, okay. Right, right. She was amazing. She She was the best presenter at that keynote that she took part in. Oh, I remember that. I remember her. Yes, she's a, just tremendous. Okay. So I, I didn't realize Apple had lost her. Ooh, okay. Ages ago. So but she Uber. went from PepsiCo to Apple and from Apple to Uber, and she was very, very short-lived at Uber oh, okay. because she went to Uber to turn the Uber around and try and help fix their culture and, and get, you know, clean it up. And she, she left very quickly. Okay. Having successfully pulled it off, I take it you're going to say no? Yeah. Okay. But back to Zuckerberg then. I mean, I, I have this thing that, um, yes, I like iPhones, I don't like Android. So being ordered to use Android phone, I would look for another job. Well, Facebook. Really. I'd find it that inconvenient. Fa it's just, I also don't, ha I, I don't like being told what devices to use either way. Even at the BBC, I was required to use PCs and there were times when it was quicker to use my iPad to remote control my Mac in my office to edit a Photoshop image and send it back than use these incredibly slow PCs. So let people use what they like. Is what First of all, Facebook denies that this even happened. Oh, okay. Facebook's spokesperson says, Tim Cook has consistently criticized our business model, and Mark's been equally clear that he disagrees. There is no need to employ anyone else to do this for us, and we've long encouraged our employees and executives to use Android because it is the most popular operating system in the world. Okay. Now, Ooh. Cook's comments right. that prompted this, if you remember. Yes. <laughs> Cook had said, we're not going to traffic in your personal life. Privacy to us is a human right. It's a civil liberty, he said adding that he wouldn't be in this situation when he was asked how he'd respond if he were in Zuckerberg's shoes. You know, yes. how would you respond if you were in Zuck's shoes? 
I wouldn't be in this situation. Despite all this public criticism of, of Apple's cooperation with the Chinese government, Apple has otherwise made privacy this huge, big deal. It's, it's not just a key marketing point. It's a key point around which all of the development revolves too. Yes. This is a big thing. You know, they have strong encryption in all of the devices and messaging services. Facebook makes its money primarily through advertising, and that's dependent on collecting demographic data and then reselling that. And, you know, it's, it's – it's, there, there was a small, small, small delete Facebook movement months ago, and we published an article deleting how to delete Facebook, and we published an article how to scale back your data exposure on Facebook. And in the past couple of weeks, I deleted Facebook completely. And – uh, about a month ago, I did. And I think that movement is gaining a little bit of steam. The other thing that I see that's interesting is that among people in Silicon Valley, when they're advertising for jobs, they're they're starting to do it in sort of cheeky ways where they talk about, you know, um, things like, are you feeling fulfilled by what you're doing? Are you feeling satisfied with your impact on the world by what you're doing? And And all these kinds of things that if you were slightly cheekier, you could start tagging in Facebook employees below that listing. <laughs> okay. The modern day version of do you want to spend your life selling sugared water? Okay. All right. R right, mm -hmm. except that, you know, it's do you want to spend your life doing something actively bad for the world? Okay. <laughs> and that's my own personal opinion of Facebook, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'd like to point out, I wondered why you're ignoring my friend request, but now I feel better. Okay. I haven't actually tried to send you a friend request. I was about to say, you would have noticed that you couldn't do that because I've been deleted, so. Okay. Well, maybe there's another Victor Marks out there who's considering befriending me. Okay. And I hope they do. <laughs> have you replaced Facebook with anything? Are you now a LinkedIn fan, for example? Nope. No. Okay. Right. Well, you haven't done something in the outside world, like, you know, talking to people face to face, have you? Oh, perish the thought. Sure, exactly. Would I okay. ever? Are you kidding me? Sure, duh. <laughs> As if. <laughs> okay. We're having too much fun here. I'm so sorry. <sighs> it's episode two. Is this how it's been? Yeah, I was just thinking. I mean, I, I'm a, a recent Nedwell here. I don't know how it all started. Was it all? Have you been here since the no, episode number one? And do you remember when that was? You know, we. I. I have been around and podcasting off and on since the very beginning of the show. I didn't host it originally, but I, I took over the reins and we have carried it on to episode 200 and we're going to go for another 200. And I hope that you'll all stay and listen with us. What's your message to our well, listeners? Can, the message is, um, I, I guess I'm sitting here waiting for you to email me uh, about the giveaway on the texting. I didn't know I was going to have to do that, but you know, that's fine. And I promised to pick five people um in in a, yeah, some incredibly evil, wicked way. How's that? Brilliant. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, for that particular thing, William at AppleInsider.com would be your best bit. And please email me on that if you want to natter about anything. I love nattering. Uh, but I'm also on Twitter as W Gallagher. What about yourself? I'm at VMarks on Twitter. Haven't deleted that one yet. <laughs> right. But it's next. You'll find me on AppleInsider.com and right here every week. Thank you so much. We'll be back next time. See you then.